What up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast, This American Horror Story. This episode runs a little long. We try to get to a lot of your emails and messages, which thank you so much for them. But unfortunately, it takes a long time to get through some of them. We'll pare it down next time, we promise. Also, apologies for the car alarm that goes off in about 10 minutes throughout the show. That's my bad for living next to someone who is not at home at the moment. Anyway, this is our review for the third episode of American Horror Story Freak Show. It's called Edward Mordrake Part 1, and it's part one of the Halloween series. So get your diapers on, because let's get scared. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to This American Horror Story <laughs> Podcast, a podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. That was my best uh, vampire impression, I guess. I'm here with my co-host, Chris. I am Tyler Moss. Uh, Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, just getting in the spooky mood of Halloween. Uh, it's still kind of warm out here, though. I don't know how your weather is. We've cooled down a little bit. It's uh, we got a lot of changing leaves, and it's a cool. You know, I'm feeling that pumpkin spirit. I think after this, I'm actually going to carve a pumpkin. Um, nice. Debating between The Shining or The Nightmare Before Christmas, where I'm going to really or get in the mood. Yeah, or a clown, or a cl- yeah, or just a clown movie, maybe. <laughs> it, um, it, it. <laughs> it. Oh God, that one scared me so much growing up. That's a that's an intense one. Uh, I'm going to go see the movie Ouija this weekend, opening Ooh. weekend. Yeah. Ouija? I'm not, which one is it? I assume it's about Ouija boards. It's about the board, yeah. It's PG-13. It looks silly, formulaic, but what the hell, it's Halloween, it's fun. I'm kind of curious to see that. Movies. I do too. I'm kind of curious to see that Annabelle one, because I saw The Conjuring, mm. and obviously that's a spin-off, but it doesn't have the good actors in it, like right. Farrah, Farrah Farmiga and um, Patrick, whatever his last name is. Um Wilson. So, yeah, Patrick Wilson. But uh, anyway, yeah, right. so so we're getting into the whole Halloween So spirit. that's what's going on with us. We hope you are, too. We apologize for uh, coming to you the uh, evening after the show aired, um, but we took a break because we were watching the World Series, and, you know, we're just fans of everything, and so it's hard to balance it all. But there's not too many right. games left, so hopefully there won't be any more conflicts, and we're still excited to talk about everything with you. Um, also, because the evening, finally, we can get to our favorite well, one of our favorite parts, <laughs> which is, uh, what are you drinking this evening, Chris? I have a nice ice cold stag beer. Ooh. What do you got? You know, I'm really feeling the season, maybe too much. I'm drinking a dark pumpkin spiced beer from a local brewery here. Ooh. So, cheers. I'm all about it. Cheers to you and cheers to Halloween. Um, there's so much fun stuff I want to talk about with you from this episode. But before we begin, we are super thankful for the awesome conversation that has been going on on Twitter, on Facebook, through email. We really appreciate all the questions and comments and theories and everything that have been coming in. And so, actually, so much that we kind of want to do like this mailbag segment here at the beginning because we have so much to talk about. Um, from you know our epi- our last episode, and also you know just from the first two episodes we've seen. So without further ado, we got a lot to go through here. So let's jump let's in. Bang through there's it. Some, there's some really interesting things I want to I want to talk about. So on Facebook, from our friend Lino, 
Um, he had one of the first comments after the airing of last episode. And I think he had some things I really wanted to highlight here, which I agree with. Um, he said, I think the scoring for the show is overwrought. It's distracting as hell and takes away from the dialogue and beautiful cinematography. <coughs> I do think this was the case with the first two episodes. It was, and I think we even discussed that. It was a little loud. It was a little overbearing. I think that that was... Partly intentional, but it was also irritating. I did not get that same feeling as much with this third episode. I don't know how you think or what you think. About I agree. It, it's it's uh, softened up a bit, and it's not as distracting. But, I, again, I kind of like that weird uh, sci-fi type music. It, but it does seem like it settled down. Mm-hmm. The other thing Lino said is that he felt that the season was a little bit hokey so far. Um, he, he said that the... You know, it's it's very weird, but it doesn't feel... He, he liked the realer feel of Murder House and felt like the writing was tighter in season one and even in Asylum. Now, obviously, the hokey feeling kind of harkens back to the way Coven felt a little bit, kind of the campy, over-the-top camp feel. Yeah. Right, so I was going to I was gonna ask your opinion on that and th- thought about how you think it lines up. I don't consider it hokey. I consider it campy, you know, not necessarily pandering to that type of a uh, uh, an audience, but it is much more along the lineage of Coven than the other two seasons in its uh, authenticity of reality. Right, and I would agree with that as well. And I, I also agree with his point that I think you know I've said before on the show how much I like Murder House, um, and I still mm-hmm. think that is my favorite season so far. I do think, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the actual episode. In this particular episode, I think that there were elements that were actually. I thought we were actually really scary and like maybe harken back to season one for me. Um, I'm excited sure. to talk about those parts, but I think that they're trying to juggle the identities that they've created. Like, the di- you know, each season up until now has kind of had a little bit of a different feel and has attracted people who kind of enjoy different things about the show. You know, everyone has their favorite season. And so I think they're trying to struggle right now to appeal to all of them. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough balance. And so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can kind of pull that off. Can you hear that car alarm going off? I can't hear that car alarm going off. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Maybe God it's it. maybe it's angry trick or treaters. I guess that won't be till next week. Ooh. Oh, it's a clown. That's actually where my mind went. Clowns, creepy clowns. Um, okay, next comment I want to talk about is from our pal Jerome, who sent an email. And uh, many of you said the same thing that Jerome did. Patty LaBelle was the maid in the last episode, who was named Dora, I believe. We did miss that, and we said, we're excited for when our Patty bad. LaBelle shows up. Yeah, that was totally our bad. We definitely missed it. You all called us up. Excuse me, on that. I do have to say, I'm excited to talk about her in this episode because I thought she was awesome. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no one does a better Woody Woodpecker than... Uh, <laughs> Than Dora, except maybe Britney Spears. I don't know if you ever saw her Instagram. I she does it. I did not see her Instagram. Well, that's great. Maybe that anyway. Britney Spears would be great on American Horror Story. Just say. Oh but, yeah. Um, so another thing that Jerome said is, and we actually had another person mention this too. A couple other people. So I guess Ryan Murphy has said that the clues to next season are already scattered through episodes one and two. Um, you know, we'll, at the end, we always do a roundup at the end of the season where we talk about all the different theories that have come in and the ones we think are possible for the next season. But just from episodes one and two so far, uh, I want you to take a moment to think about what you think might, there might be. And I want to read this great post from Maureen from Facebook on what she thought that, um, some of them might be. Uh, Maureen said, my guess is the classic isolated diner truck stop motel story uh, you know, diverse travelers in and out, weather, uh, fog, mist, snowstorm, um, escaped convict, serial murderer, maybe in Roswell, New Mexico. 
um, because there's rumors of filming in New Mexico next season and could add the space alien component. Um, I hope, just commenting on that, I hope it's not because I kind of had my fill of space aliens after Asylum. She also said the clues also pointed to Chicago um, and maybe they could do a World's Fair, Devil in the White City, Dr. H.H. Holmes thing, which I think would be awesome. I did read that book and it was incredible and that guy was crazy creepy. So that that would be kind of a fun one. Um, and they obviously, I, th- I could see them. A World's Fair would give a lot of possibilities. I would see kind of seem right up Ryan Murphy's alley to me. Uh, from seasons one and two, what what kind of theories do you have in mind so far? Well, the the biggest one that I've read and it makes sort of sense to me is that might it could be a sci-fi and space type uh, horror film because if you think about the clues that this season takes place in Jupiter, Florida, mm-hmm. um, in the was it the first or second episode? Oh my god, they need to turn that car alarm off. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, she's, uh, Elsa sings that uh, Bowie song, Life on Mars. Mm. So mm. I'm, it could we could be in space maybe, which is weird. But, you know, I'm down for whatever American Horror Story is going to throw at me. But that's the only one I've really kind of thought of. What about... And you, you, I mean, I know... I, I know I, I agree about the aliens thing, but... If they do it like Alien, <laughs> mm, that's true. Really, Scott's Alien that could be cool. I feel like they would need some pretty high tech special effects. I mean, and they have pretty good special effects now, but they would need yeah. real high tech special effects to be really scary at that point. Um, just throwing absolutely anything out there that I could even possibly think of. Um, you know, we could have Victorian. Well, this is I guess we're looking at the first two episodes. So I guess I would say like in a prison could be one. You know, you look at the the thing with the police officers, detectives, Meep, and everything like that. Um, We've kind of all already done the kind of 1950s race um, thing, and that was played mm-hmm. up in the first episode, so I don't know that that would be it. Um, so maybe a prison. It could be like an Oz kind of thing, although Asylum was a lot like a prison. Asylum so was kind of like that. that, yeah. I think the space element would be kind of cool, and I do think the World's Fair would be cool. Yeah. Um, so those are both ones to think about, and you know, we'll keep thinking of ideas as the season goes on, and maybe you know, we'll have more ideas. You know, something will spark out, you know, oh, we realize these connections from these different episodes and we'll come up with more things. Uh, next question. We had our friend Matt P., I think this was through email, said, What did you guys think of the new opening title card sequence for this season? I personally don't really like it as much as the others. They kind of strayed into the claymation and stop motion realm, which was different for me. I don't know. I kind of was hoping for something similar to past seasons, but I wanted to know what you thought. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit in our preview episode, but um, I'd be happy to rehash, especially now that we've seen it a few times. What do you think? I agree that it's not as scary. I think it's kind of fun and cool and different. I like that they're experimenting with it, but it doesn't have the same, you know, fear, fearful impact that, uh, you know, I remember like the, the scene in, in the coven credits where they're like, the witches are floating and like, I don't shudder when I watch this one, but it's, I don't know. It's quirky. It's cool. But yeah, it's not really scary. What about you? I agree with that, too. And I think I, you know, I mentioned that in um, the preview episode that it felt very Tim Burton-esque to me, like right. Nightmare Before Christmas or Corpse totally. Bride kind of thing. Um, also, I could see it, or it looks like almost a scene from in Toy Story, uh, Sid's bedroom, you know, where he has all oh, the yeah. things that Ooh. he like. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, thinking of different ways that they had inspiration for this. I, I like that it's kind of weird and quirky, and it is, it's creepy. I would say it's not scary, but it's creepy, which yeah. to me, me, have kind of, it's creepy is more subtle, you know? And, you know... In some ways, I, that's how I would describe Twisty, too. I mean, there's moments when, like, he just springs up behind somebody, and that's kind of scary. But just looking at him, he's just kind of creepy. 
next thing we want to talk about, a couple people had different theories about that Elsa said clown in the audience in the first episode. Um, and I thought these were both pretty good ones. Uh, Cameron C. said that he thought Elsa said clown in the audience um, was a version of herself like uh, kind of like a meta thing looking at herself while she's performing I think it is meant to be symbolic of Elsa's own feelings doubts about herself as a performer I'm pretty sure the entire performance is heightened and imagined to be greater than it is because of Elsa's drinking and opium use as evidenced by the increasingly elaborate sets and music during the performance that disappear when she's done so the clown Elsa which looks sad is either A motivated, motivated by or sorry moved by the beauty of the performance or B saddened by Elsa's obvious lack of talent all in all the scene represents Elsa's disconnect with reality and then another uh, post from Keith on Facebook that kind of, I think in some ways these kind of share similar ideas. He said that he thought, you know, she was performing the song Life on Mars and that he grabbed a screenshot from the song and he said that she's actually watching a film on her projector in that scene and it corresponds to the lyrics. And the lyrics were, but the film is a saddening bore because I wrote it ten times or more. It's about to be read again as I ask you to focus on sailors fighting in the dance hall. So it's kind of uh, the characters illustrating scenes in the song maybe. Um and so I think those are both um, potential things that explain what that was. Because obviously uh, we haven't heard any more about that really since then. Sounds good to me. Now our friend Michael L. commented on uh, Kathy Bates' accent, which we've talked about quite a bit. And I, would do, yeah. I do want to talk about that more this episode. Um, he said the New York Times reviewed the, HS, uh, the Freak Show season premiere with obvious distaste for the character Ethel. Uh, fans of the show and Kathy Bates rushed to defend the choice of her accent with claims it was Baltimore-esque. Then he goes on to talk about how he actually majored in linguistics and has some familiarity with linguistics. And um, basically said that he felt the Baltimore-esque accent was not a real Baltimore accent. He thought it was more, technically speaking, a combination of Baltimore, Minnesota, Scottish, Irish, Canadian, and even a hint of Austrian on the R's. Um, long story short, Kathy Bates, while a brilliant actress, has failed miserably with this accent and decided to jump on Baltimore. Um, you know, he said he finds her character extremely distracting. Now, we've talked about this before. I agree with that. I appreciated this episode focused on her more, and it made me like her character more, and it made me more okay with the accent. We'll talk about that more in the episode. <clears throat> I was going to ask yeah. you what your opinion was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the accent was distracting, but after this episode, I, I'm a little more at peace with it and it's less distracting and well we'll get to why you know maybe we have some sympathy for her character now right uh comment from matt p hey guys not sure if anyone has mentioned this yet but in the credit sequence there is a clown that is missing his scalp maybe twisty skullcap came from a former clown competitor uh just a thought <laughs> um curious what you guys think like i guess a clown competitor like cut his face open or something like that um what do you think about twisty's origin story we've talked about that a little bit I have no idea. I mean, I, I really don't know. And to speculate on it almost seems like wasted time just because who knows what they're going to try to create. As a, obviously, the only things we know about him is he collects children and he does like to perform, but don't piss him off. And he, right. and he is a fanboy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he like he does he does like to perform, and he gets upset when people have a like when he either messes up or people have a problem with his performance. Correct. Um, so he clearly has a weird sensitivity. I, you know, I've said that before that I kind of hope we don't see his origin story because I like the mystery of that, and I don't want to mm-hmm. feel sympathetic for him. But I guarantee, I almost guarantee, we are going to see it because we've there's a precedent for it. You know, we saw yeah. Bloody Faces origin story, we saw Rubberman's origin story, so I'm sure we will, and I'm sure it'll be interesting. So. 
that will uh, you know be kind of fun to see. Um, yeah. Maybe he really wanted to be a good clown, and he just has a temper. And when like he messed up on a trick, people were making fun of him, and he just started killing people. I don't know. He flipped. Another good okay, uh, Freya on Facebook said that um, she had an interesting note on episode two. She found it really intriguing how Evan Peters' character Jimmy and his father, the strongman, are both very quick to temper. Um, and she gives a couple examples of that, which we've kind of covered in the past podcast. To me, it represented a lot of the nature versus nurture theme that also ran an asylum with Threadson. Even though Jimmy has never known his father, he's still very similar in personality. Of course, there are vast differences, but it's interesting to think about. I think that's an interesting point to make that we hadn't really thought about before, is you kind of have a father-son dynamic. You know, the only other father-son dynamic we've seen like this before is um, Bloody Face and Bloody Face Jr. in season two. And so I was going to ask what you thought of kind of about the nature versus nurture thing and how that's going to affect Dell and Jimmy. It's interesting with the father figure because a lot of, um, I think a lot of our seasons have focused, um, and it's Falchuk and Murphy doing this, but mother-son relationships and how weird those are. Mm-hmm. So the the father-son um, relationship is pretty you know the threads and thing it, it's interesting and i hope they do kind of explore that with dell and they already started to this episode with at least his feelings toward abandoning his son and whatnot but all these paternal or maternal relationships in the past have been very um just not good mm-hmm. you know I think on the nature versus nurture debate, it's kind of hard to decide whether you know Ryan Murphy and Falchuk are really on one side or the other. Because if you look at the bloody face thing, um, bloody face Junior was he? Did he inherently? I mean, he seemed to inherently think he had something wrong with him. But at the same time, he had found out who his father was, and that's partly why you know he felt like he had to do the things he did at the end there. And so you could kind of ask the same thing about. Well, and that also had to do with him being abandoned by his mother, too, which had nothing to do with the father. Um, and so that had an effect on him also. And so in this particular situation, we do see that they're quick to temper, but obviously Jimmy has very noble intentions, while um, Del just seems to be more of an asshole. And so while they are both quick to temper, it's hard to say, you know, I guess it's the verdict is going to come down to, and we'll have to find this out, you know, whether or not Del is a bad guy, which the he has kind of been a dick so far, but the verdict is still out on that because I think... I have a feeling he might try to do something to redeem himself, especially after some of the things he said in this episode. Yeah. So we'll have to see about that. And the last uh, part I want to talk about was a great email from Jade. A um, couple different things that she ra- questions she raised that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, so this whole scene where, you know, Desiree is having sex with the quote-unquote fruits, as Del called them, um, and Del's super pissed about it. How she was wondering how Desiree kind of got out of being in trouble with Dell. What you thought? What your thoughts on that were? Uh, I don't know. I didn't really consider that too much. My yeah. thoughts. My thoughts were she. She probably didn't. He probably slapped her around a little bit. We saw how he handled her in the yeah. trailer there, and there almost was a precedent like he had kind of maybe slapped her around a little bit before. So that would lead me to think maybe there was, you know. But a, also seeing how he exploited. You know, Kathy Bates, Ethel. Maybe he was aware of a side type job. I don't know that she might be doing like maybe like letting them look at her boobs, but not sleeping with them or something. Because as he exploits the people in his life, 
like he did with Ethel. So I don't know. Maybe he he was aware of some sort of it, but not all of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just uh, interesting questions to be raised, and we thank you all for kind of contributing to the conversation. Also, if you just go check out our Facebook page, I th- you know we had a great post from. Uh, Megan, it was an article from Nerdist about crafting the look of uh, American Horror Story with costume designer uh, Lou Eric. And so we, I'd, I mean, go take a look at the kind of stuff people are posting. There's great conversation going on, and we'd love you to go join in. That's facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. Also, you can uh, send us your own questions or comments at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And, of course, check us out on iTunes, rate us, review us. We very sincerely appreciate that. I'm sorry for this long intro, but now we will go into the real episode, which was called... Do you remember what it was called? Edward Mordrake, Part 1. Let's start with our introduction. The American American Morbidity Museum. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't bother to look this up to see if it's a real place, but it sounds interesting. Oh, I didn't either. Damn it. Um, they're examining the skeletons of uh, freaks of nature... And we have kind of actual kind of scientists here, it looks like. We do know it's Halloween, or is close to Halloween. Um, And they talk, you know, the director there talks about Halloween is a one day freaks could hide behind their costumes and feel like everybody else. Um, Then that's when uh, the doctor, Dennis O'Hare, arrives with Emma Roberts. So we finally get to see Dennis O'Hare and Emma Roberts. We're slowly introducing our um, old reliable characters. And they're trying to sell a specimen to the museum, a specimen that is fake. They claim it is a fetal Sasquatch, but it's really a baby gu- a baby goat with a jaw of a cat sewn on. <laughs> they do such a shoddy job of trying to scam this museum. <laughs> yeah, they don't look so, like very like, talented con artists. No, to me. not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you think that they would have some knowledge of these uh, human specimens or like <laughs> of these freaks of nature and be able to tell between like when something's just sewn on, but. I would have liked yeah. to see a close-up of that, because it sounds gross but intriguing. Now, the director of the museum says, if you bring me something truly authentic, I wouldn't ask any questions. And that's when they kind of notice the conjoined liver of Siamese twins in the museum, which is worth $5,000, which in the 50s was a lot more money a than A million dollars. <laughs> something like that. Infl- you know, inflation. Uh, <laughs> and cl- clearly their ears perk up, and so did mine, because I immediately, as I'm sure you did, started thinking of Bet and Dot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, I want to. Oh, and then um, kind of continuing this opening scene, then we have kind of, you know, Halloween in South Florida. It's in Jupiter. There's a little girl who's terrified of clowns going door to door. People, it's clearly during the same time as the curfew was just instituted because of the murders, because the parents or the mom and her friend it's are 4 talking p.m. about in the daytime. Yeah, how there's still a curfew intact, so there's no trick or treating after curfew. Um, and the little girl sees Twisty stalking her, which was very creepy. Um, so cute, creepy, and so campy. I loved it. In the broad daylight. I like how Twisty, it just seems like the director so far with Twisty just like, let's just make him stand in a creepy place and just look, watch people. Because that's all you need to do. He's just creepy. That, that. Yeah. This, and, and this whole sequence is such a huge nod to uh, Carpenter's Halloween um, with yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Myers showing up just standing there. That's, uh, this is such, this a lot of the scenes in the the uh, suburban areas in this episode where they're trick or treating is a huge ref, hugely referential to Halloween. I totally saw that too. What did you think of that first scene where we see kind of Emma Roberts and Dennis O'Hare? Any first th- initial thoughts? You know, normally in the cold opens, it, I've, I was kind of surprised they didn't open with the uh, Halloween trick or treating because that seems a little more American Horse Story style. 
but I honestly, it was just introductory to the characters. I don't really see too much um, as you know symbolism for at least for this episode. It did seem like we were jumping in head first a little bit more than we typically do because they like to open yeah. kind of with like a scary note, and then I would have felt like that would have been the first scene after the credits. So it was kind of interesting Correct. that yeah. they switched that up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Can you think of any reason why they might have done it, or they're just? I don't, you know, maybe people people would be more excited about seeing familiar faces right off the bat. That's true. Mm-hmm. I think that that's that's definitely, and also I think it was interesting to kind of you know first thing we see pan in on some of those freaky skeletons and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. maybe they were kind of going for a little bit of shock factor there. Um, I was sure. definitely you know trying to slow down and see exactly what we were looking at. Yeah. Uh, so I think it'd be interesting to go back and like exact, you know look really closely at all the different freak pictures they have there and see exactly what they have. So, as I did last episode, I want to kind of separate this episode into two different tracks. I'm going to kind of do the freak storyline and I'm going to do the dandy twisty storyline, which I'm saving for last because it is totally my favorite storyline right now. <laughs> um, it was pretty cool. But uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. So let's first talk about Ethel. This is an episode I would say is primarily about Ethel. And I think you might agree with that. Um, We open with her going to the doctor. She has cirrhosis of the liver. um, Assumingly, or we assume it's from her years of alcoholism. Excuse me. And the doctor says she only has six months to a year to live. Tells her she can't have meat or alcohol because that might accelerate it. You know, she cries and says that she's crying because... Not because she's dying, but because it's the first doctor to ever treat her with any respect. What were you feeling toward Ethel at this point? What were you feeling about kind of the comments she made? You know, when it started off, when he told her she had six to six months to a year, I was like, well, well, you're an alcoholic, girl. That's kind of what happened. But then when she started, you know, choking up and the doctor was treating her with respect, I really started feeling something, like, inside. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. And, and... You know, she's like, I'm not crying because I'm dying. I'm crying because, you know, you're treating me like another human being. And that 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 made me feel sympathized for her, definitely. What about you? Same, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I have trouble being sympathetic with her. Maybe this is me being a huge dick, but I'd like them to explain why she just can't shave her face. You know, <laughs> um, that is kind of the elephant in the room for her freak quote unquote right because characteristic as you and i both well know when you start growing facial hair all you have to do is shave it (laughs) and they had razors back then (laughs) people got shaves all the time so that wouldn't have been that hard i mean i'd like them to explain that like maybe her hair is so coarse it can't be cut or something weird like that and that would be interesting but it's just kind of like it's hard for me to be like oh you're such a huge freak when you have like you know um the pinheads or you know the tiny lady or the guy who's only or the girl who's only a torso or something, and it's like on that scale, Ethel, you are yeah. not too much of a freak, really. Right. That being said, maybe she's does she's a nonconformist and she wants to be proud of who she is, and she's proud of that, and that's that's what it's going to be. Fair enough. You know, Ryan Murphy and really likes to they tap the that. kind of loud and proud, own yep. who you are <laughs> kind of theme. So I guess we could see that here with Ethel. How does the lady who doesn't have legs and crawls everywhere? How does she? poop and pee <laughs> okay so she's only a torso so we're, are we assuming that her torso goes 
I mean, all the way down. Stops. I, I, I kind of thought that she just lacks legs, and so it stops right below her butt, and so she uh, still has all her genitalia. Because how could she? I don't think she could survive if she did so not have, have to be able to. Yeah, because that would yeah. mean she had no intestine. She was like, "Are you thinking of the, it ends like below her rib cage or something?" I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I feel like this is a safe place to ask these questions. I think it is. I think that her body ends right below, like. Sorry, right below her pelvis, and so like okay. she has that, and so you know we know she's um, she has some strength, so she just must hold herself over a toilet or something. Because in the next episode, she's doing like these bobbing for apples that where she's just oh you know, she's so badass in that too. <laughs> like I thought she was doing push-ups at first. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Like all right, got it. You're hella strong, but sure, I think cool. it's. So we transition to a scene at the freak at the freak show, and it's just a right. madhouse again. And it's kind of like every time, it's like the the freaks are all like children almost. The way that it's just like a madhouse every time they have a meal or something like that. Um, I guess they're kind of having a <laughs> Halloween party now, but this time instead of Jimmy yelling at all the freaks, Bet and Dot kind of ends up. Yelling at them mainly to impress Jimmy, it kind of seems like because Jimmy's so depressed. You know, Jimmy's bummed that Meep is dead, and no one else really seems to care or really think too much about it. Uh, but, Jim- but Jimmy fail- feels like he bailed the freaks as a leader, which I think he'd said last episode anyway that he can't protect them. Blah blah blah. Um, Dot kind of stands up for Jimmy and says how everyone else is disrespecting Meep, um, and that's when we get into the legend about why freaks don't perform on Halloween because. Uh, Ethel, who appears to be all of a sudden hitting the bottle again, kind of stumbles in and says, because, uh, well, that's because Dot says we should be doing a show for Meep or something like that, right? And then Ethel says, uh, we don't perform on Halloween and here's why. Now, I thought that this scene was super cool how it was filmed. I always love how they film the um, old-fashioned scene, so I wondered if you had any comments on like this whole Edward Mordrake montage. It was pretty cool. I mean, the the whole black and white projection style uh, film was it's fun and it's also very campy and kind of reminiscent of old horror films. Um, right, that's exactly what I was thinking of too. Mm-hmm. Like, so, uh, so, mm-hmm. oh no, go ahead. Oh no, it's fine. I was like Dracula and, um, yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not Nos, Nosferatu. No oh, crap. Yeah, I think it was the original Nosferatu. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And so anyway, um, we kind of get the whole story about Edward Mordrake, um, aristocrat from the 1800s. You know, he had a face on the back of his head. No one else can hear this face, or can see the face, sorry, or hear it, I guess, except him. And it whispers, um, things only spoken of in hell. He tries to kill it. Um, We see a scene of him trying to, like, drown it in the bathtub, which I thought was kind of entertaining. But it yeah. won't it won't die, and so it eventually makes him go crazy. He gets committed to an asylum. asylum. I like how many references we have to the asylum. Yeah. Um, the voice commanded him to do things, and he ends up escaping one night by slitting the guard's throat. And he goes to a freak show where um, he's billed as the two-faced prince, and for a little while it seems like he kind of fits in. Um, and then he just snaps one day because of that voice on the back of his head and murders all the freaks and then hangs himself. Right. So, um, what ex- was the ballad of Edward Mordrake? Right, and so legend has it that what? Legend has it that uh, if you perform, if you're a freak show and you perform on Halloween, you will summon his spirit and he will murder you or someone or all of you in the show. 
a, yeah, he will he will come take a take a freak basically. He's yeah, and so yeah, you summon his spirit to come take a freak, and obviously we see him uh, be summoned later in the episode. And yeah, I, I want to point out Edward Mordrake is a real reference to a historical figure. That being said, the extent of his condition with on the back of his head is debatable, and folklore is you know exaggerated. Do we know anything about, like, did he actually, was it one of those things where he had, like, a twin, and then, like, the twin died, and it was, like, partly attached to him? I don't know. I don't know. Because have you you seen that kind of thing before, where it's, like, you know, one of the twins dies, but they still have, like, their, like, nose and their, like, teeth on the side of their head or something like that? Yeah, everyone, go Google that. That'll give you (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween. So, anyway, any freak who performs on Halloween summons the spirit of Mordrake. Um... So obviously we know this is coming because they, you know, we already knew it was coming even before the season started. But you know, we make such a big deal of kind of the show, and it, you know, for every Halloween we always kind of, uh, you know, they tap American Horror Story taps some old myth that they kind of recreate mm-hmm. for Halloween, which is I, I love. I think that's an awesome tradition. Yeah, totally. So Ethel's drinking again, and Jimmy confronts her. Um, she basically tells him to get lost, and they need a real man in the uh, in the freak show. Now is she? First of all, what do you think is her goal by drinking again, and what's her goal by acting this way to Jimmy? She's drinking again because she don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, even though she says she has loose ends to tie up before you know affairs to settle, I think she's just you know she's. It's like telling someone. Oftentimes, people who had a heart attack stop eating red meat and, and drinking and, and smoking, and you hope they do it. But especially back in the fifties, I feel like not very many people would change their lifestyle so quickly. Um, the Jimmy, how she treats Jimmy is kind of confusing to me. It could be that she just is trying to distance herself from him because she knows she's dying, but it might also be her lighting a little fire under his butt to try to get him to just step up and be a man. Um, like, uh, like she wants him to be, uh, not like, and not like Dell, even though she's stirring the pot by saying, thank God Dell's here. Mm -hmm. It could be either or both. I think that. I think those are good points. I think that, I think that I think you're right about uh, right on about the drinking. I think that at this point it's like she stopped drinking because she thought it would be beneficial to her. But at this point she's going to die anyway, and she knows she likes to drink. So why the hell not indulge now? Yeah, right. Um, as far as the thing with Jimmy goes, I think that part of it is she's actually bitter. You know, I think that she is bitter that he just doesn't realize the way of the world and she's very worldly and she as we learn from her origin story later she's been hurt by the world and jimmy is just so naive and it's like she wants to slap the naivete you know naivete out of him and get him to realize that the world is not kind of freaks like him and you need to kind of build that wall and be a man and and guard your kind and so uh, maybe partially she blames meep's demise on jimmy for being so naive about everything mm, yeah i don't know speaking of mr meep they have his oh, his the funeral, funeral. It was a great shot where they started above and then they came down to where the the, the torso lady was in the foreground. And they're oh. all all throwing the chicken heads on the grave. Chicken heads! Oh my god, that was so funny and so sad. That's a lot great. of dead chickens. I hope they, they ate them all. Um, <laughs> Meep didn't. <laughs> oh, Meep did not, but he's eaten a lot of, ch- a lot of yeah. chickens in his day. <laughs> god, I wish he hadn't died so soon. I love his act. I know, that was entertaining. Jimmy gives this eulogy about how Meep... Scared kids and put, you know, chicken heads in their trick-or-treat bags or something like that. 
Meave is so tight. And Meave, he said, you know, he kind of gave the, the similar speech that he gave last time. That one day he thought he could be one of them. So I hope Jimmy needs to really shut up about these, like, being one of them speeches. And I I, yeah. I think, I kind of think on this point, Ethel's right. He needs to get with the program because clearly that's yeah. not going to happen. And so he needs to right. stop bitching about why can't people just accept them and, like, realize these are the realities of the era and he has to... Um, you know, he has to stand up for his people, basically. Which, I mean, obviously he did when he killed that detective. But it also kind of led to Meep's demise a little bit, so. And that's when a taxi pulls up and we meet mystic Ms. Esmeralda, the fortune teller. Um, who Bet and Dot are, are clearly very jealous of because they think, you know, maybe Jimmy has a crush Jimmy's on her. Jimmy's got some eyes for that pretty little thing. Because she's the only other actually, like pretty person on who's not a or you know who's not a, has some you know some hey kind speak of for yourself the amazon eve is pretty hot she is and she's only just she's just <laughs> tall so yeah she would be I'm a great WNBA me. player really mm-hmm. um so let's talk about bet and dot's dream for a second they're having yes. a conjoined dream where they're in a um in surgery and basically, they're going to get separated. And we see them wake up right after that bone sock comes in. And it's interesting because for Bet, it's a nightmare. But for Dot, it's like the ideal dream. And they actually shared the dream. And Dot feels like she now knows what her talent is. And she's met a guy that she's interested in. And she wants to have a life outside of Bet. And Bet doesn't seem to be ready for that. Um, but Dot says she's not afraid to do what it takes to get herself separated from Bet, and she wants the surgery. Now, the interesting thing about the surgery is that one of them is going to die because obviously they are sharing a lot of organs. Mm-hmm. And so, I was wondering what you thought of this whole scene and what you think of that pretty big reveal, which I think will probably play a huge role toward the end of the season. Yeah. Well, when the when the sequence started, I, I thought it might be a flashback, and they had tried this in the past. Perhaps, and it, but then when the blood splattered and you hear, you know, Bet saying, "Wake up, Dot, wake up!" and the and this whole thing, I gotta say, Sarah Paulson is magnificent playing mm-hmm. both these characters. Um, the dichotomy of the of the two characters is phenomenal. Um, I think here we're supposed to see that, like you said, Dot is very ambitious now, and she's driven, and she kind of. She has a bunch of cards in place that she wants to play in her game of life. Oh, that's a terrible analogy. Ugh. Um, and Bet doesn't have that. And but I think Bet does kind of love Dot, and she says like, "Won't you miss me?" And you know, don't I basically mean anything to you? Mm-hmm. And Dot doesn't really answer that uh, with just saying, "You know, I have this dream of what I want to do," and you know, that's like one of us is gonna die. And then she's like, "Yeah." It's really sad, and that is definitely going to be the struggle between these two. Also, along with the struggle between seemingly Dot and Elsa now, uh, as who's going to be the ambitious, successful one out of this freak show. I want to play my favorite game with you real quickly, which is let's uh, let's have a theory. Would you rather? <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, would you rather have Dot or Bet live? And, and what I mean by that is... Obviously, we're going to see this come to fruition. They're going to have the surgery, I I think, and one of them is going to survive. What do you think is going to happen there? I don't know. I 
I think if I, I can tell you what I think will happen with if Dot dies in the surgery, Bet's gonna find some weird strength and become badass. Mm-hmm. If Bet dies, Dot's gonna go off the rails. Whereas Bet might find inner strength, Dot's gonna go cray. Yeah, I think. I think it could go a number of different ways. I could think I. One theory is that they both die. But I don't. Yeah. I hope they. I don't think they would do that. I'm almost picturing at the end here, like a. Um, okay, I'm. I'm picturing like a usual suspects kind of scene where it's like they have the surgery. Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Jimmy. You Jimmy's waiting for him. They come out, and you think it's a dot, and then like as we like as the season ends and like they're walking away, we get some hint that it's actually bet. So he better yeah. not ask him to Kaiser sing because that would moment. give it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we get like a Kaiser Soze moment there. I've I've agreed with I agree with that because I thought that early on somehow we you might think it's one but it's actually the other. I didn't know how that would play out, but that would be cool. That's yeah. I that would be a cool moment, but just gonna throw that out there as a theory, yeah. obviously we'll see later on. Right. The other thing they talked that Bet mentioned it was, you know, like Dot. Remember the time you tried to kill me? Mm. Well, and I mean, was she referencing there when Dot stabs her with the with the scissors? I think so. I think mm-hmm. that's what that was about. And that, again, we were trying to figure what that meant too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Now the next scene we see is with uh, Emma Roberts Esmeralda, basically trying to prove that she's the real deal to Elsa. Now she's already. Somehow she's already convinced Jimmy, maybe just because she's pretty and he wants to have her around. Um, now, I have a couple questions for you about this scene. But let's first talk about what happens. She pulls out her crystal ball for Elsa and does the act and, you know, goes on the stands. Stands the room for clues. Right. And so she got, talks about how in the past Elsa suffered a great injustice because of greed and jealousy. Um, she sees an ovation, but not for Elsa. I, she says, like, for more Elena who stole your career... So that'll be obviously that's some backstory of Elsa we're going to need to get into at some point. In right. the future, though, she sees Elsa's song is heartbreaking and people cheer. It's never too late for her to be a star. She sees a man standing behind her, an elegant impresario, and then basically that it's not too late and Elsa's still going to be a star, which is obviously what Elsa wants to hear because so she yeah. she picked on that pretty quickly that Elsa's still going to be a star. Um, first question I have for you is. Is Esmeralda at all the real deal? I mean, she knew some things that I was surprised by, or was she just noticing? Was she, is she just like she Sherlock is, Holmes I mean, perceptive? Exactly, Sherlock Holmes, but not as good. She just like she scans the room, picks up on like three or four clues. Like one's an article, one's a photo, one you know, one's initials for something, and just riffs off of that. I think still she's pretty much better. Still pretty impressive, though. Right, she's much better at this than she was at selling fake, you know, freak things. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'm curious to see how she'll do it, though, with like people who come into her tent when she doesn't really have much to go off of. Another thing that I had a question for you here, and I wanted to see if you had the same impression. When she says the thing about a man standing behind you, an elegant impresario, who did you think? Did you have any thoughts? Th- I, was, I thought it was going to be Dennis O'Hare. Exactly. I thought she was setting the stage yeah. for Dennis O'Hare to show up, too. And I think she is, but mm-hmm. someone beats, her, beats him to the punch. Exactly. And so we... Well... We don't know how that's going to turn out yet. That right. seems to be what Elsa thinks at first. Right. I, I do want to say Jessica Lang, her response, like her reactions to um, Esmeralda's uh, fortune telling is phenomenal also. She's so good. She's so good. Well, we know how good Jessica Lang can be. But yeah, she's yeah. like, oh clearly, the, her transition from like being a skeptical, sorry, yeah. skeptical to being like, 
totally, totally entranced, and, yes, yeah. by the oh, the fortune wow. telling was very entertaining. Uh, Emma Roberts, though, not doing so much for me. I don't, I don't. I mean, she could really camped it up and been a little sillier with it, or she could have been a little more serious. She kind of was floating in between. I thought. I don't know. She wasn't I thought, bad. I just, you know, I think she's so good at like that kind of bitchy, sassy attitude yeah. she had in Coven that it's gonna yeah. be. I don't know that I maybe you know it's hard for me to believe her or find her believable as kind of like a well she's not a goody two shoes obviously because she's a con no. person but yeah. even like pretending to be that it doesn't come across as authentic yeah yeah I mean I'll give her a couple more episodes obviously of course but... <laughs> of course sure anyway now I want to talk about the scene with Dell in the trailer. Um, mm. where he's lifting and then Desiree kind of comes on to him and he can't get it up. Mm-hmm. Desiree is super pissed. Uh, clearly this is something that's happened many times in a the past. Um, he's embarrassed and he kind of attacks her and she says that she'll leave him basically and he lets her go. Um, que- question for you. Any theories as to why he can't get it up anymore? Is it steroids or something? Oh, good question. I... I, I... I, I didn't really think about that too much. I was kind of more intrigued with the way she says, like, I've been with you through a lot of this and, you know, not necessarily like you owe me, but like she has some dirt on him or she's gone through something with him that she knows about him that he can't, like, he, he doesn't want to lose her. I mean, it could be just pure love, which is great, but there, there's something darker about their past too. Yeah. That, that's connecting the two of them. And I was going to ask you if you picked up on that or thought. Well, I mean, obviously she stuck deeper. through him with, he clearly is very jealous. And so maybe, yeah. you know, the story they told about Chicago is not the first time he killed somebody that she was like, you know, taking money to have sex with or something like that. And so right. that could be partly what she's referring to. But, you're, you know, I think it's fair to believe that Del maybe has some more dark secrets we're not aware of yet. Yeah, I don't know what the sex uh, uh, problem is though. I'm not, I, you know, I don't think we have enough background or hints at it yet. Um, mm-hmm. All we know, it's it's happened frequently. Well, clearly, this, I mean, clearly, this is not a problem he's had all his life because he got uh, Ethel pregnant. So right, yeah. Maybe it's a curse. He was cursed to never get erect again. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. Poor guy. He wanders off into the. Um, Swamp, and he actually runs into Ethel, who's out there drinking, and they share a touching drink together. And Ethel kind of comes clean to Dell and talks about that. Um, well, first of all, a few different things. Um, she asks Dell if he ever loved her, and he basically says no, which I, I don't believe. It seems like he's kind of yeah, thinking well, about it. If you look at his face, his expression, it's a little, you know kind of more pensive and and possibly I think he did Mm -hmm. I think he did too and then Ethel says that she never wants Jimmy to know that Dell is his dad which so obviously it's going to come that's got to come clear at some become clear at some point so um, it'll be interesting to see how Jimmy ends up finding out maybe it'll be the nature versus nurture thing and he'll realize how similar they are or something like that yeah but you know she voices her her concerns about Jimmy, and maybe this kind of relates to you know her getting mad at him in the tent. She feels like he's lost, and you know she she conf- confesses to Dell that she's dying, and she wants Dell to give Jimmy guidance and to kind of look after him. And Dell reflects on being a bad father and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, did it make you feel any more sympathetic toward Dell in this scene? A, a little bit toward the end, especially when he's like, you know, I, I he talks about his regret for leaving and how he always 
you know, wondered around Halloween what his son would be dressing up and wanting to wear. Right. And as his costume and, and Ethel tells him every year he wanted to be the same thing, a soldier. So yeah, exactly. Dell was not very, um, likable, I would say in the last episode, but this episode made him seem, seem a little bit more yeah. nuanced, which I mean, I, we like to see. I, yeah, that's great. Let's leave He's the not... pure evil to twisty and dandy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do the, the connection that Dell and, uh, Ethel have, especially toward the end of their conversation where they're sharing a drink, looking over that pretty landscape. It made me feel more for Ethel uh, again. I, it just it dug, it dug me in just a little bit deeper into her and caring about her. Not completely sold on her yet at this mm. point, but just a little bit. That's what I was going to wait and ask you at the end is kind of what your overall impression of it, Ethel was at this Ethel point. Was, but um, uh, let's wait until we talk. Yeah, I'll ask you again yeah, after we we'll talk about her final speech with uh, Mordrick. Now, um, we have the scene that I want to talk about next where Esmeralda calls Dennis O'Hare at his hotel and he's hooking up with the like Viking Thor male prostitute kind of thing. Yeah. Um Thor and we got our first uh actually it's our second butt. <laughs> is that weird for the sake of being weird? I mean obviously we know that, you know, Ryan Murphy and stuff, they they like to have LGBT characters and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but this is a little I don't know if there's purpose to this or it's just supposed to make his character more interesting. I think it makes his character interesting because a we now know more of the relationship that that uh, Stanley uh, oh, and Esmeralda have. Uh, I'm glad they're not, not a couple. Yeah, yeah, they're not a couple, and I mean they could be father daughter, but I, either yeah. way, they're not romantically involved. Or I don't know, maybe he's bi, but probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think the whole thing here is he we know that he's either bi or gay and he has a huge huge wiener yes so he he has a giant so he might be kind of a freak (laughs) so is he just gonna is he gonna like just show his penis (laughs) maybe that's maybe that'll be his talent i guess or maybe you know if he's gonna try to pretend to be the impresario to elsa she will be the benefactor of his uh horse-like manhood um And, and, you know, they also express their excitement about the Siamese twins, which they clearly want to capture and put, like, into a jar, yep. dot, dot and bet for display at the museum. Um, I'm going to skip past this whole thing about the police confronting them, because that's kind of the same old junk, and it was kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. Let's talk about the twisty in the house scene. Um, no, actually, sorry. Let's save that for the part where we actually talk about twisty. My bad. I'm jumping mm-hmm. ahead. So, Dot wants to rehearse on Halloween. Um, you know, you kind of get the feeling that she's kind of pissed about Esmeralda being there, and maybe she, mm-hmm. you know, she finds confidence in her talent, her new talent, and she also maybe she thinks right. it's kind of sexy and that Jimmy kind of likes her talent. So, she wants to rehearse on Halloween, and everyone's kind of like, you can't rehearse. But then Elsa agrees um, and kind of boots Dot off the stage because they get in an argument over who the real star of the show is. And Dot kind of has some attitude here toward Elsa. Yeah. Uh, real have, quick, too. Right. What do you what, like reflecting on this uh, kind of tension between Dot and Elsa? Where do you think this is going? Do you think that you know Elsa will try to get Bet to kill Dot? I mean, yeah, I think basically you know Dot is completely you know competitive with Elsa now, and they're both blinded by the the lights of success and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're both doing it, I think, for different reasons. I think obviously Elsa's doing it because she wants to be famous still. And uh, Dot's doing it because she sees a way out. 
Well, and we never learned, like, nothing ever happened with Dot or with Bet and that razor blade kind of thing. And so we don't really know if that was a dream or, like, maybe she's saving that for later or if she's going to cut. You know, I still think it'd be interesting if she cut Dot's tongue out because that would kind of make her the star again. Um, but then we see Elsa sing, it's actually uh, a Lana Del Rey song called Gods and Monsters. A.K.A. Lizzie Grant is her real name. I always call Lana Del Rey Lizzie Grant. Lizzie, well. Because she got her name done over, made over to be famous. Anyway, sorry. That's just my beef with Lana. I mean Lizzie. A lot of people do that, though. But, yeah, she sings the Gods and Monsters song, and she ends up summoning summoning Mondrake. And we have this scene where, like, all that green mist kind of swoops in. And it was, uh, this scene was very campy. Yeah, it was. Uh, and she doesn't seem all that disturbed when he just kind of wanders into the tent, but I guess she's looking for her dark impresario and probably thinks that that is him at first. Mm-hmm, exactly. But, Dennis, or Stanley, wasn't getting his rocks off. He would have been there in time. Yeah. Well, he, I'm sure we'll see him soon. Um, but then he kind of disappears. And where do we find out he went? Well, he goes to Ethel's trailer. And it seems like he's kind of vetting Ethel to see if she's the freak he's going to take exactly um, yeah okay so first of all i want to talk about the like bloody necked demon that we see in ethel's tent at first um okay so first of all it's supposed to be a freak that he obviously killed in the past and now he has like these dead freak friends that follow him around i thought it was yeah. super creepy like almost to as like creepy and scary as season one creepy which i thought that like, i don't know even in asylum it didn't get like you know what it reminded me of? It was disturbing. Of? It wasn't scary. Yes, the sixth sense, like seeing, oh, oh, turning, God. and seeing like a dead oh. a dead person. It oh. reminded me of the sixth sense. Yeah. Um. So I like I thought that was that was real yeah real creepy. And then obviously Mordrake appears, um, and he tells kind of the situation to Ethel that he can't leave until he kills one uh, until he kills someone. He needs to collect one. Yeah. And he has to ask her basically like some questions to see if she's going to be the right person. So we kind of get the story of Ethel's fall. The vaudeville act, and um, how you know her, she was really successful, and then her and Del kind of had a fling, and he became her manager and wanted her to be Probably more cultured, yeah. and do like Romeo and Juliet and stuff, and like rehearsing it, Shakespeare. That's re- I mean, come on, it it didn't work even a little bit. And then we see Ethel's biggest shame, which is the live freak birth of Jimmy, oh. where Del made people pay to come see Jimmy be born. Which, you know, she talks about how demeaning that is for Jimmy, but really, how demeaning is that also for her to, like, sit, like, like an animal, like livestock, yep. to be giving birth in, you know, with people crowded around like that and stuff, too. Yep. Um, so I, I understand where she's coming from, where she, you know, clearly she f- feels like Jimmy's only known exploitation from the start, I think she says. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely felt bad for her, too, and it made... This is what I was going to say with the story of Ethel and kind of getting more details is I feel like I'm more okay with the accent the more I get to know the character. It was more irritating and distracting for me when it was like, well, why, you know, what's the background of this person? It just seemed like a character. Um, and I mean, not that it necessarily adds a whole lot of detail like behind the character, but I just think that as a her as a person kind of coming together more makes the accent more believable for me. Agreed. I almost kind of wish we had a little more uh, ex- expository scenes with her early on, so I would have cared from her a little bit more in the beginning. I mean, not all like not all the cards all up front, but at least t- hints or something that she's kind of has this tragic past. Right. 
So question for you here. Why does Mordrick spare her, do you think? Does he feel bad for her? I was going to ask you that. I don't know. I think it obviously has something to do with she was honest because he said, you know, it will know if you're lying. Mm-hmm. And she was, she seemed really remorseful about a lot of what she's done with her life. So maybe he's looking for someone more evil. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what his, what his requirements are for for collecting a new soul. <laughs> well, at one point he says something like he needs to take an innocent soul. And so, I mean, partly from hearing her story, oh. he finds out that she's not innocent, I guess. And I'm trying to... So, let's play the... Um, Who is it going to be? The theory then? game. And that's was, that's another question I was going to ask you. Who is it going to be? Um, so, we're trying to... Th- here's, here's one theory that I'm going to throw out there. That he ends up trying to take Jimmy, because Jimmy's one of the most pure souls. And then mm-hmm. Del, Del says, no, take me instead, because that's like his redeeming moment for his son. Because I feel like someone, some character we know is going to have to die... Because, you know, it's not going to be like Pepper or something like that. Like some person who's not very well developed. It's going to be one of the characters that has been established so far. Hmm. If Meep was around, it might be Meep. It might have been Meep, but Meep is gone. So I was thinking, unless that, like, for some reason, Mordrick doesn't take anybody. But I think he's going to take somebody. And I'm wondering. So my thought was maybe Dell standing in for Jimmy is, potential, is mm-hmm. one potential. Emma uh, Roberts, maybe? You think she would die that quickly? Uh, she's not a freak. She's not a, freak. I, well, she's not a real freak, though. You no, think he'd be able to see that? That's true. Yeah, I, but but I also don't know if Dell would die because Michael Chiklis is like build top cast also. Angela Bassett could Desiree disappear? We haven't. Yeah. We don't know that much about her yet, though. Yeah. I, the only people I hope it isn't. I hope it's not Amazon Eve or the tall, the smallest lady in the world. I don't. Either. I like Just, them together. <laughs> yeah, I like them too, and I think it's kind of cheap. It would be kind of cheap to take somebody who's not like a main character. Yeah. When she when the little lady pops out of the pumpkin and scares the big lady, I <laughs> loved it. That was so funny. It <laughs> that was, was very and cool. her little giggle. Oh my gosh, it was so cool. Another All thing I want to I want to think that was actually I thought was really funny and like as much, as scary as I thought like or creepy as I thought some moments of that scene with Mordrake were him like talking with the thing on the back of his head yeah. that was just really hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I wish I mean I still totally get Professor Quirrell vibes um and Voldemort. I got, I did too, but I also got maybe like a little bit of like ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was entertaining. Um, but it'll, yeah, so a couple different theories about who's going to die, and that's kind of our where our uh, you know the stuff regarding the actual freaks kind of left off is like where is Mordred going to go next, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit with like what you know what's going to be in the next episode. Now, we, I don't have too much on this because there wasn't that many scenes on it, but I did love it. And that's mm-hmm. uh, our dandy and twisty narrative. Open on Gloria and the maid Dora. Um, in the house, you know, we have the, the rich, fancy house again. And Gloria has forced Patty LaBelle, who is Dora, the maid, to dress as Woody Woodpecker. You already talked about how, how funny that was when she did God, it. God, it was so great. I loved it. Patty's um, got a good sense of humor. And they're, heart. and they're trying to cheer up Dandy, and uh, because apparently he's in a rotten mood. Although you think he'd be in a pretty good mood. Well, I guess she's probably referring to when he like stormed out because um, he couldn't be in the circus and wanted to be in the theater and all this stuff. Um, I he had some pretty funny lines in here. Dandy is hilarious. I I, I, I think yeah. Dandy might be my favorite character right now. <laughs> 
curfews are for the poor people. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's so ridiculous, but he's believable as being ridiculous, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like Finn Whitrock or whatever does an awesome job here. He's, He's doing a great job, yeah. Um, and I like how he Dora makes him the Howdy Doody costume, and he gets so upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and just starts smashing stuff. And Dora's a badass. She says, "You know, I'm not afraid of you." Yeah. Multiple times. Um, we see him doing his own, making his own costume, um, and then it's Halloween night, and. I loved. I absolutely loved the scene where he puts the mask on and we see it through the clown eyes as he goes down the stairs. Like that is Halloween, also a reference from that, the, the yeah. film. That was Brilliant. super. Cool. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, Halloween! Oh, it's uh-huh. so good!" And he's in his full clown regalia and he um, grabs the knife and he's preparing to stab Dora, but she knows it's him and she like she is a badass. She dares him to kill her and he can't do it. Instead, he just I acts thought, like a baby. I thought he was and, gonna do it. I, that's what I was going to ask you is if you thought he was really going to do it and I thought that she was yeah. going to make him snap yeah but he didn't well she says at one yet. point that she raised him his whole thing so maybe like as much as he hates her like he feels connected to her or something yeah yeah uh, so he runs off and he goes into Twisty's van and he's just feeling angry and wants to kill somebody so he tries to stab the kids by tying his knife to a stick <laughs> what a jerk <laughs> He's just so ridiculous. He's, He's clearly ridiculous. like this ridiculous, spoiled sociopath. I I absolutely love him. I think he is hilarious, but also really creepy at the same time. I and, agree. And unpredictable. And then he's paired with fucking Twisty, who is... <laughs> who actually is psychopath. Yeah. Who drags that girl's... Oh, so speaking of which, yeah, we have the scene where in the house with that little girl we saw at the beginning, the girl's upstairs like playing with her dolls, and... I told we. I mean, and I'm sure you felt the same way that Twisty was going to be the one sneaking up on her, but no, it's just her mm-hmm. shitty, shitty brother who was, yeah, uh, you know, uh, freaking her out earlier by dressing as a clown for Halloween, and he's the one who gets dragged away by Twisty, and she kind of allows it a little bit. She screams, but she lets him come yeah. up and drag him out the door. Yeah. So it's kind of like Twisty's actually taking a, a kid who's kind of a shit and deserves being taken away a little bit. I don't feel that much remorse for him. Uh, I kind of do. I mean, he's just an older brother. How, how do you think Twisty picks his targets? Do you think he's? I don't know. Seen... That's he's collected a young boy, and now a teenage boy, and a teenage girl. That's so it looks like he keep he, it's young people he's after for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he maybe he's trying to collect an audience he can do his act for. Or something oh like yeah, that. right. So yeah, he's dragging. The kind of last scene of them we get is that he, you know, Dandy comes out and greets him as he drags the boy into the thing. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm. Go ahead. I, I was gonna say I, I don't like when he's trying when he tied the knife on to the to the pole and tried to stab him. I was like, oh, I don't. I wouldn't do that if I were you, Dandy. It like, could have fallen off. Kill, kid. Yeah. Well, he's kind of an idiot. Kill. He is. He is. Plus, he, he would be pissed if you killed his captives. Uh, he. I don't think he has any concept of repercussions like that, and is just like. <laughs> Or they could have just pulled the knife off and tried to stab him instead. Like, he's just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Who just, like, wants to have fun and kill people and have excitement in his life and be in the theater. He He's a very entertaining character, and I like him a lot. Um, and I'm excited to see where the Twisty-Dandy partnership go. Do you think they're going to go on some kind of... Uh, do you think Twisty's going to, like, accept him and they're going to go on a spree together? Or are they going to kind of be rivals? I think they'll buddy up for something definitely i don't know what it's going to be and the extent of that you know how if it'll be a friendship or if it's going to be a something else i don't know 
I, I don't know either, but I, I kind of hope that they pair up and just because I think they're both my favorite part. Like I said, my favorite part of the show so far, and I want to see more of them. So Agreed. I know we're, I know we have more more Drake next episode, but the more we can get of Twisty and Dandy, the better as far as as far as I'm concerned. Um, we're kind of running along here, so I'll go ahead and you know we've already talked about theories and things, and we've already talked about our feelings on Ethel and that kind of thing. Um, you know, overall, kind of giving your overall thoughts and giving a rating to this episode. What, what would you give it? I, I think I'm, we're going to agree on the sense that the Twisty Dandy part was the more exciting, more Halloween fun. I loved the nods to Halloween, the the movie itself. Um, is it awful to say that I'm okay if we don't do an episode with a song in it this for the next one? I, I, I love Jessica Lang. I love the way that they use the music. Or maybe not the whole song. Maybe just a verse or something. But... It kind of takes up a lot of time, and I feel like I'm watching Glee all of a sudden. And, you know, I don't know. I feel I, I don't want to sound like an ass when I'm saying that, because Just Lang's up great, and I love musical numbers, but every episode's little, getting a little much. Um, that being said, I, I do like that we got to know Ethel more. The more Drake thing, I'm excited to see what happens. We have a mystery for next episode. Uh, I would give this episode a four. Four sad clowns out of five. What about you? I agree with you on the music. I feel a little bit like they were they, they kind of knew how popular the name game was in Asylum, and they were like, let's just do that every single episode because we're having yeah. like a, a theater company. And I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> it it's too work. much. Um, and I I get what they're trying to do with like the um, acro- um, anachronistic music and like having you know the Lana Del Rey songs and the David Bowie and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, you know, trying to channel Boz Lerman or whatever, but I don't like it. I, if they're going to do music, at least do like cheesy carnival music or something dumb like that. I don't like them doing the, the real not songs. Not every time. Yeah. It's, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, but there I were a like ton of, ever. it takes a lot. They do the whole song. Right. <laughs> there were a ton of things I did like in this episode though. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the whole more Drake thing and I am excited to see where that goes as far as who he's going to take. And I thought that was really creepy with kind of the sixth sense homage mm-hmm. there. Um, I did get to feel a lot more for Ethel. Um, I like the kind of details we got about Dell this episode, too. Um, Jimmy seems kind of like a flat character to me, and I don't think that's Evan Peters' fault. He's just kind of written you know, as, like, the boring hero. Um, and that's why I like Tate so much is in season one is that he was, like, a really complicated character. Yeah. yeah, and, like, he had done some really, obviously, horrible things, and so it made him, like, really complex. And I feel like... Jimmy, or like he's a know, one note character, right? Evan now. Peter gets these characters quite often that are just kind of like, you know, yeah, like the the standard typical Prince Charming. Well, I mean, obviously he's a freak, but like kind of like the hero that doesn't really yeah. have too much um, darkness to him. And I want to see that character have more darkness because um, I think that would make things more interesting. Of course, I love the dandy twisty thing. Everything about that was amazing. The way the scenes were filmed, everything. I'm going to go ahead. And say, I'm going to say four. I gave four last week, I think. Um, but I like, I, I did really like this episode too. I, I feel like we're steadily progressing. And this episode I liked a little bit more than last episode, which I liked more than the episode before. But mm-hmm. it wasn't quite there to give me 4.5. Um, but I did like it really quite a bit. And I'm excited to see how some of these mysteries are tied up in um, yeah. the next episode. So I'm going to give it a four. So that's a solid eight, said Clan Soda. Out of five, I believe. Um, so not bad. Ten. 
Is, yeah, sorry, did I say out of five? Eight out of five. Out of yeah, five. That, that would be extra credit. Yeah, that would be yeah. stellar. <laughs> so things to look forward to that we kind of see in the episode preview. Um, I didn't do, see it, so you got to fill me in on this. Well, we do know that Mordrake is, visits Elsa at some point, and it seems like Elsa thinks she's going to be taken. I don't think she will. She's too, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, Jessica Lang. it's Jessica Lang. She's the first build star of the show, so she's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um we do see Dell like wanting to kill Mordrake. He says something about that. Um, and oh, it's in the preview that Mordrake says the freak has to be a pure freak. So maybe we, maybe I was giving something away before, but so it has to be someone who has some level of innocence to him. We also see Dandy upset for some reason, but then again, we see Dandy upset for little reasons all over the yeah. place. So that's not saying a whole lot. And, um, yeah, we see these scenes in which it looks like it's kind of the way the preview made it look is like either Dell or Elsa is going to be taken, and we're not really sure which it is. But maybe that's just oh. the preview trying to throw us off. So it's hard yeah. to say. But there's a lot of more Drake in next episode, needless to say. You know, I was just thinking if we're going to do another song, can we give Patty LaBelle a song maybe? That'd Seriously, be great. yeah. Let's give <laughs> the famous, talented, award winning performer the song next time. Yeah. <laughs> well. As always, it was a blast discussing this with you, and I'm yeah. excited for next week when we're actually super close to Halloween. Um, I've got my own Halloween activities to attend to, as I expect you do. So, my mm-hmm. friend, where can people uh, hear more from you this week? Instagram and Twitter, at Chris Husted. What about you, Tyler? Same, but my handle is at TJMoss11. As always, find us on Facebook, people, facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. Send us comments and questions at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We love them, so keep them coming. And rate us, review us, critique us on iTunes. Let's get out of here. Thanks for coming, you guys. Talk to you next week, and happy hauntings. In the land of gods and monsters.